Hi, I'm Charles Letts, Senior Associate at Feeney Family Law. Welcome to the Feeney Family Law Wellness Podcast, a podcast designed to help lawyers stay healthy. Life as a lawyer can be stressful. Finding your own ways of reducing and living with that stress is very important to your enjoyment of life as a lawyer and your longevity in the profession. In this episode, Finding What Works For You, my guest is family lawyer, Montana Morais. Montana shares with us her life as a lawyer from graduation through to where she is today, a principal at McInnes Wilson Lawyers. You'll hear how Montana made the change from working at a boutique firm to a much larger multidisciplinary firm and the differences in pressures and opportunities that came with it. We discuss how finding a workplace that is aligned with your own goals can make such a difference to your well-being. Montana and I discuss how we each stay well and healthy and share some tips that you may find useful in dealing with the ongoing stresses that come with being a lawyer. I hope you enjoy the episode. Montana, welcome and thank you for being part of the first Feeney Family Law Wellness Podcast. First thing I wanted to kick off with is for our listeners who might not know you well is, I guess, who are you? Where did you get to where you are? And a little bit about yourself. My name's Montana. I am a principal at McInnes Wilson Lawyers in our family law department. How did I get here? Sometimes I ask myself that, but I think really just a lot of hard work and long nights and yeah, a lot of pain, but worth it. What does a principal role entail for you? I think the difference between having a role as a principal and prior to that being just a solicitor working your way up the ranks is the added HR side of things and organisational side of things where I think, you know, it's hard enough being a solicitor and having just the stress and pressures of our area and what our workplace involves. But then when you add to it the role of principal, of course it has its perks. It's something that I really, really wanted um, and I don't regret it at all, but it does come with this added level of, okay, well, now you are responsible for managing a team when there are HR issues. First and foremost, they come to you and really you're responsible for feeding the juniors with their work. That's a lot of added pressure on top of an already stressful work environment. I think you told me previously that McInnes Wilson had between 300 and 400 employees. Is that about right? It is. I, uh, I lose track of the number because obviously we've got our main office here in Brisbane, but then we've got offices all around Australia. It is a pretty big office. The, the main office is, like I said, here in Brisbane. So this is, we have the most staff here. How many is in your team? We have nine only, okay. which is good. It's manageable. I imagine that that takes a fair lot of your time on top of being a lawyer as well. It does. And look, I'm fortunate enough to be a principal with Pierce in our team as well. So there are two of us and we do pretty well at juggling different aspects of our roles. It's still a lot of hard work, but I think it's really great because we are a smaller team within a bigger firm and you sort of get 
the best of both worlds, really. So you've had a bit of experience from what I understand in a smaller firm. You're now principal at what we'd probably call a fairly big firm. Could you tell us a bit more about how that transition was for you and maybe a bit about how your career in the law started? As you said, I started at a small boutique firm. I think we had four or five staff members and that's where I started my career and when I moved, it was on the Gold Coast, when I moved to McKinnis-Wilson in Brisbane, it was an entirely different world. In fact, I remember driving home every night of the first week at McKinnis-Wilson crying and thinking I've made a huge mistake because I didn't even know how to work the printers. I didn't know how their systems worked. I was just a fish out of water. So the initial shock of moving to a big firm certainly hit me. But I think, you know, once I settled in, there was still a lot of differences between the two. And I think the biggest thing I found was in a firm of this size or any big firm, you can't expect the equity partners to know everything about everyone and really you are at those early stages at least a number and you are really assessed and judged on the figures and the reports you didn't get a a minute of downtime because there are daily reports being emailed to your supervisor and to the heads of departments and things like that about your productivity rates, your chargeable hours, your every month, there it is on the score sheet for the whole firm to see how much you've billed, whether you've met budget, those sorts of things. That is, you know, on top of just a high pressure job that we otherwise have to add that level of pressure. I, I did find really, really challenging initially. And that was, I think, the biggest difference in coming from a smaller firm. But like I said, we're a a small department in a big firm. And so then you do still get all of those benefits of a smaller firm is like a little family and you do become, you know, everything about your teammates and you sort of ride the highs and lows together. And I think that's still, you know, I still get that here at McInnes Wilson. One thing in there that you said that I think I want to come back to because it's something that resonated with me. And that was that you said that I might get the words wrong, but effectively that being a lawyer in and of itself is stressful. And I think that's something that's really important for everyone, all of our listeners, anyone who's going to be a lawyer or who is a lawyer will probably understand in some way that the job is going to be stressful. You're dealing with people's lives, with people's families, with people's money. There's lots of complex areas of things you need to understand and you're continually dealing with conflict. Like you said, it is a stressful job, and I think that anyone who comes into law thinking it's going to be not stressful or it's going to be, a, I guess, a low-pressure job. They're not cut out for it, I think. No, that, yeah. well, I think if, if that's what you're looking for, then you're looking, for the, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think particularly in our jurisdiction, I mean, you're dealing with people at their most emotional and most irrational a lot of the time. And I think what shocked me most about being a lawyer is I thought, I don't shy away from conflict. I can handle conflict. And I thought, oh, I'll be fine at this, you know, arguing for a living with the other side is fine. But what what was the biggest shock in my career was 
finding myself arguing with my client more often than not because obviously that's our job to control our clients and to manage them and so yeah it is it's conflict every day you know half the time you're fighting with your client then you finally convince them to get to a position and then you're fighting with the other side and it just doesn't stop and I agree you know there's such a focus on mental well-being in today's day and certainly there's things that we can do at the end of the day it's a high pressure environment working in any size law firm just being in the legal industry You've obviously made some pretty important decisions for yourself and figured out a lot of things that really work for you to let you, I guess, take on that stress, deal with it, and then keep going and and be a happy and well person. I mean, I've got my own ways of doing that. I'm sure you've got your own ways. What do you find works best for you from a wellness perspective? What lets you get deal with the pressure of running a team, of making sure that all of your team members have work to do? have enough clients coming in and also get your own, I guess, legal work done? I find that the hardest part, obviously, as I became principal, I found myself doing a lot more of the other stuff than just the legal work. And so that is something that I still continue to juggle with. What's helped me deal with the pressures of this sounds so cliche and it took me about 10 years to realize it was important is sleep and exercise and eating well because those are things that are never prioritized I was one of those people that thought I'll sleep when I'm dead because there's not enough hours in the day to achieve everything I need to and still get six to eight hours of sleep a night so I happily for many many years ran off four to five hours of sleep and thought I was doing fine. I rarely exercised. I never prioritised any of that stuff. Uh, And it wasn't until about a year ago where I realised that's just not a way to live. I'm certainly not a doctor or certainly not qualified to make any of these assessments, but there is so much information out there about the importance of sleep and how you deal with stressful events throughout the day and stressful environments and how you can deal with them so much better when you are thinking rationally, when you've had a decent night's sleep. So it sounds silly and it sounds basic. It is basic. We need sleep. So I think that's something that's really helped me. And exercising, it's just a non-negotiable for me. I get up super early in the morning and I exercise before I start work. And I have to do it before I start work because once I start work, there's no running out at lunchtime or there's no running out at 5 p.m. So those are the, the major things for me. That's really interesting because for me, I find very similarly that sleep and exercise are really important in managing, making sure that I'm well, happy, going and able to do the job and able to be a good parent and husband, hopefully. Um, (laughs) The thing that I would always find is that if I exercise, I sleep better. And if I sleep better, I exercise. And so the two are in some ways intertwined for me anyway and absolutely I found sleep has always been a non-negotiable for me I struggle if I don't get eight hours a night at least six out of seven nights a week wow Um, 
I can run on short sleep for probably a week and a half and then I'll find myself getting sick. Generally, it's getting sick. I'll run myself down and I'll find that I've got, you know, picked up a cold or, you know, something of, mm. of that sort of thing will happen to me. And that's always been one of my big indicators that, no, you're pushing yourself too hard. And I think everyone's capacity to push themselves like that's different because if you could, I, there's no way I could have done it for 10 years. Yeah. And, and I and, think at some point I was running purely on adrenaline and caffeine and that's it. I've always found that if you're exercising and you're sleeping, having someone that you can talk to about things is often helpful. Trying to make sure you're just not overburdening the time you do have away from the office with things that don't let you have downtime because it's. I, I think that the two like work and life can be stressful also in their own ways. So Absolutely. that's, I guess, just a bit of my, my experience. Yeah, and I think particularly in today's day where we have, you know, emails on our phones, it is so hard to switch off. And that's something I'm still really bad at. I almost get anxious if I haven't checked my emails for a period of time. But it is something that I'm really trying to instill in our juniors that are coming through, you know, if they reply to me after hours or on their day off, I'll always tell them off and tell them to get off their emails. It's not healthy to constantly be checking. There's very little we can do about something when it's blowing up at 11pm at night. So nothing good really comes from checking our emails at that time and trying to reply. I think that's true. I know that everyone's got their own way of dealing with the email situation. Some of my colleagues will have their emails running almost all the time because they find it less stressful to have them going and know what's going on mm -hmm. and can come to back to it when they need to. But on the other side, I've found that having my emails turned off when I leave the office, unless I know that there's likely to be something important happening in the next couple of days is something that I've found has made a huge difference to my well-being and how I've felt stress-wise. Mm. Um, I made that decision probably five or six years ago. I was at a point where I was checking emails in the middle of the night. Mm. Um, the phone would buzz. You'd listen to it. You just couldn't leave it sitting on the bench. You'd have to get out of bed and have a look at it. It was rare, like you said, that you could actually change anything yeah. at the time. It wasn't important anyway. Exactly. It's, just that, it's that immediate response of I must check this. But now I know that Feeny Family Law has been great to me and saying, you know, that's how you do it. That's fine. But I would say to everyone who has had to think about, you know, do I have my emails on? Do I have my emails off? If you can figure out what works for you in that regard, try and make it work. And I think more and more managers and partners and principals are understanding that people can't be on all the time. You rarely get great work out of someone at 11 o'clock at night. Absolutely. Uh, or, when, or when you are applying on the fly, sometimes it's not always yeah, the best advice that you're giving and it's probably more dangerous. But I agree it comes from the top because if we're doing it, our juniors will feel like they should be doing it as well. I think it's something that we all need to work on more. I think that's right. I think that, and I think that every firm or every person in a firm understanding what works for them, but also being you know, accepting of, okay, in this circumstance, this is not going to be how I do it, but 
I'm okay with it because it gets the best out of my colleagues, my team, my boss, however it's going to work um, is quite helpful. I know that that period when I was finding it very stressful, you know, just getting emails at any time, even if they were nothing emails, that was probably one of the more stressful periods in my career. And I think that perhaps if I got to a different point in my career um, and then had made the decision to turn my emails back on, I think it would be less stressful. But I think that everyone in my experience, goes through a period of their career where everything seems to be a lot. Mm. Um, it's dealing with the, I guess there's lots of different pressures and lots of dis- different stresses. I don't know that for me it was sort of in that trainer wheels are off stage of I've been admitted for, I don't know, a year, year and a half. I've learned with some really good teachers about how to do things and then it's, okay, you know how to do this now. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Did you have a particularly stressful point in your career? Like, was there a point where the stresses peaked, if you like? I think I'd agree that one of the, although looking back, you think, okay, it actually wasn't that stressful in hindsight, but at the time, the most stressful or, or the hardest transition, I think, is when you go from assisting a solicitor on a file to it then becoming your file and you're running a file and it is your backside on the line and it's you that's going to have to answer to the judge. COVID has changed, I think, a lot for juniors because COVID coupled with um, just how our system has changed where, you know, we're appearing at first returns electronically before a registrar and there's not as much that can happen on that first date. I remember even when I worked on the Gold Coast, driving all the way to Brisbane, appearing before a judge on that first day, not really knowing what on earth I was doing, but trying to convince your client that it wasn't one of your first court appearances, trying to stay calm, not let the other side bully you. And and that was so, so tough because you would think, oh, I've seen, you know, my supervisor or whoever it was that I assisted for years. I've seen them do this. It's fine. This is what I'll do. It never goes like that. That period where you transition to being responsible for your own files, I think, was one of the hardest phases. But then I think any sort of transitional phase, I think, because then you sort of get used to that and you can cope with those pressures and you learn more and you get less nervous and all of those sorts of things. But then I found probably now looking back, the most stressful phase in my career was when I was then responsible for juniors, you know, you sort of only had to worry about yourself for a period of time and now you have to worry about, okay, am I doing the right thing? Are they doing the right thing? Do they have enough work? Are they happy? Are they, you know, that I found the most high-pressure phase of my career. That's interesting because I found similarly in the sense that you get to a point in your career, I think, where you know you can do the job. I can do this. I've done it before, unless there's a really novel problem. Mm. You know what you're doing. You've appeared before the judges. You've made the arguments before. Then to go to that next step of, okay, I need to now, one, teach someone, two, make sure that they've got enough work, three, make sure that they're keeping up with the learning that they need to be doing, the expectations of the firm, all of those sorts of things. 
and then having to like, oversee their work and make sure that it's up to scratch effectively, it is really stressful. And I, one thing that I've definitely found really stressful about that is the decision of how much do I change this because it's not exactly the way I'd do it. Yeah, and Men- how mentoring much- is tough. It certainly is. I feel like I've had some great mentors. Trying to be one now at this point of my career is also something that I find interesting, but it is, it's not easy. Absolutely. Like going back to the mentoring point, I was lucky to start in a boutique firm that's very well regarded with some excellent lawyers and I got exposed to some really interesting work and some really excellent barristers as well early on in my career. And a number of those barristers and and my principals from my previous firm um, were mentors to me. I'm now at a point in my career I'd like to pass on the favour in some ways whilst not expect, not saying I know everything, that's for sure. Um, I definitely still pick up the phone to other, other practitioners and say, you know, I've got this issue, this is what we think, can you help us out? How did you find that mentoring process, especially going from a small firm, I guess, into or a boutique firm, into somewhere like McInnes-Wilson, where, like you said, it's a big firm, but it's a small, smallish team? Yeah, I think that was something that when I was at a smaller firm, there was a senior lawyer there and he was amazing at mentoring. I think he really took me under his wing and I owe a lot of what I learned in the early stages of my career to him. And that was really great. And then when I moved to Brisbane and moved to a bigger firm, that was something I felt was missing it was a lot harder to sort of lock someone down and to get the attention that you needed and the mentoring that you needed. I can't speak to other jurisdictions. One thing I think is so great about the family law jurisdiction is just the collegiate nature of all of us. I think that at any point I feel like I can pick up the phone and call other practitioners or barristers. I think barristers have taught me a lot in my career and they are so willing to help all the time. I don't think other areas of law have that level of assistance from the bar. So I, I found, yeah, I find that that was how I sort of managed coming to a bigger firm and having less mentoring. But then at the same time, I'm really grateful that I also had a lot of autonomy coming to a bigger firm that I think at some big firms you wouldn't get. So yeah, I was thrown in the deep end. Certainly, I think my colleagues and barristers and those sorts of connections really helped. I think that the bar, especially in in Brisbane, the family law bar is so willing to spend so much of their time answering phone calls from people Mm. and just discussing problems. And if you haven't already, if you're a young lawyer, try and make some connections there with the bar because they're a wonderful source of knowledge. They're so generous with their time. I would strongly recommend trying to, I guess, reach out if you do have a problem, if there's a barrister you've worked with on a matter before or if there's a matter where you, or a case where you're not quite sure how you should approach it and you don't feel like you're getting the assistance within your own firm or that you just want a second opinion or a bit of a different opinion on things, then do uh, 
reach out to the bar because for me it's definitely been an invaluable source of assistance and mentoring. And the other thing I'd say from that is I know that I found it very helpful to go and look at what the barristers prepare in a matter. If you've got the time, and it's not always the case that you've got the time, but if you can have a look at what a barrister's prepared in terms of a chronology or a list of what they're going to potentially ask a witness in cross-examination, for example, you can learn so much about the law just by reading through those things, understanding, oh, okay, this is the reason why that person's done that thing. This is the key bit of evidence in this this matter. This is what we should really be focusing on in the future. You can just learn so much. Yeah, I agree. And I think it can be so intimidating to want to reach out to a barrister. But I just think for all the juniors out there, what have you got to lose? They either reply or they don't. Send them an email, leave a message with their secretary. The ones that are willing to help will and the ones that aren't willing to help won't and you probably won't brief them in future. So, you know, not only the bar but just other practitioners. I mean, just the other day I called Peter Sheehy for some help on an unusual area of law. He has always been willing to take my call and spend half an hour, 45 minutes on the phone to me helping me with an issue. So there are so many practitioners out there that are happy to help so take advantage of all the friendly people we have in Brisbane at least I think that's right and I look I, I think I mean I don't have experience of other area other jurisdictions or um, other areas of law I've been in family law in Brisbane for my entire career people are people so I imagine that in other areas in other states and cities that you'll find nice people who are willing to offer up their time. Absolutely, right. yeah. And, and there's people that everywhere that aren't willing to offer up their time. And well, that's right. Yeah, like I said, you'll figure that out pretty early on. And I think that someone who's not, either doesn't have the time or is un- unable, unwilling to offer up their time to assist is, even if they did, you're probably not going to get as much out of them anyway because the people who are willing to are often the ones in my experience who are willing to try and teach or help. Um, it's not just, oh, I've got a problem, give it to me and I'll deal with it. It's, oh, this is the issue. This is how we look at it. These are the things that are important. Have you thought about this? This could be useful. So I've found, especially with the bar, that that's been so helpful in not just this case. It's the next one or the one after that or the, the matter that's slightly different but has same sort of issue. Um, and I think that that mentoring side of things is really important. I must say I have found the mentoring side of things for me has mostly been about lawyering, about the law side of things, the matters, not so much the dealing with the pressures of budgets or the pressures of running a team or those sorts of things. Do you have any experience? any mentors that you've had that have been more on that sort of side of things where it's been, okay, this is how I run a team or this is how I work on bringing in clients or those sorts of things? I think I've been really fortunate in that regard to have work and still work with Pierce, the other principal in our team. So I think he has a huge focus on running a team, building a team. I mean, he started this team from scratch. 
So while he has less of a focus or less patience with teaching the law necessarily, he's so passionate about teaching young practitioners how to grow a team. I remember when I started here, he said something about BD and I said, what does that stand for? So he had to teach me the basics of business development and he, and, and he still does it with all of our juniors. I've been, like I said, really fortunate in that regard, regard and I owe a lot to Piers for that because I was so scared initially to put myself out there and to network. Every idea I've ever taken to Piers has been received well and he has given us opportunities to run with whatever we want. He's never said no to us. To answer your question, I've, I've had Piers as a mentor in that regard. It's been really beneficial. Yeah, that's interesting about the... You mentioned the pressure or the stress of getting yourself out there and business development and those sorts of things. Because I'd say that when I was at uni, I didn't think once about BD or about networking or anything like that in a realistic sense. Never. But I was lucky enough to start my career in a firm with Clarissa Rayward, who many of our listeners have probably heard of before because she runs a very successful podcast. She's really taught me a huge amount about marketing and about networking. And really, I think starting my career there was an amazing thing for me because I'm naturally fairly introverted. I'd be happy to spend you know, most of my weekends with my feet up on the couch mm. or going for a run by myself in the bush or something like that. And getting, I guess, encouraged and helped to get myself out there in the profession and meet other people in sort of natural ways that aren't just, I guess, the go to an event and talk to people with a glass of wine sort of thing was really helpful for me. And look, I'm not going to say I'm some marketing guru. That's <laughs> certainly not the case. I think it was really that culture and that willingness to put yourself out there as a person, not just as a number or not just as a you know, a line, a line in an account was really helpful for me, especially in, in the early parts of my career. And um, I think that's, that's also something that people should look for in their mentors and in their, um, in the people they look up to and find what works for them in terms of networking and business development. Because I know that there's no one size fits all there. And doing the thing that you don't, that, that doesn't suit you, I know I found that really stressful. Yeah. And I think young practitioners coming through need to understand that find your niche and build on it. You have to create your own personal brand. That doesn't mean that you have to be out drinking and at these networking events. If that doesn't make you comfortable, there are other ways to do it. I was really nervous initially. I used to just focus on writing articles and doing you know, video alerts and I would work with our marketing team. And that's sort of how I, I guess, was recognized internally in the firm, right? Because I was in this big firm. No one knew who on earth I was. The partnership didn't care because they hadn't heard of me before. And then you start sort of putting your name out there just internally. And that gave me the confidence once I had learned how to network and market internally to then go externally. So you don't there are so many other ways to do it. And I think a lot of young practitioners, I see it in our juniors, they are too scared to go out to these events and, and they are intimidating. You know, sometimes we have 
flipper events and things like that, they're intimidating for young practitioners. Yeah, there's other ways to do it and you just need to find whatever it is that you're good at and build on that. I think that's so true. I mean, finding your own niche, find what works for you. Um, I know for me, I was never the person who was really excited to be out there and um, at all the events and those sorts of things. But look, those things come with time. You become more and more comfortable in those sorts of settings. But like you said, they are often intimidating, especially when you're dealing with members of the profession. And as a junior lawyer, really junior lawyer, who are judges or QCs or those sorts of people, and you see them from sitting in the back of the courtroom or from carrying the bags for your principal or the senior lawyers as they do appearances, (laughs) and they're sitting up there um, and it, it can be really intimidating. I think that's really true. And I think finding your own niche, I know the, the writing the articles and doing the video alerts and the um, preparing case notes or those sorts of things can be really helpful for people and to get used to the, okay, my name's out there, my name's on something, the world's going to know me as this sort of person. Um, and don't try and, I guess, be something you're not. Because I know for me, I've always been interested in the, the, the technical side of the law, the, the complex problems or the draft, how do you draft this to deal with this issue or those sorts of things. And I guess having started in a fairly boutique firm where everyone knew everyone well and everyone knew everyone's you know, good, good strengths and um, less, less good bits, I guess. Um, <laughs> weaknesses. Weaknesses, yeah. Um, you did have that sort of understanding, okay, if there's this particular bit, can this person in the firm help me with this thing? Mm. Um, and so I think that that's helpful knowing, you know, for those of us or for those of our listeners, I guess, who are in the bigger firms, the first step might be, like you said, marketing yourself internally, get yourself known in your own firm before you then step out into the world of trying to put your own face on things because, I mean, this is something that I didn't really understand until I was fairly a long way through into the profession is that lots of juniors at lots of firms, they don't get a name on the website. They don't get a phone no. on the website. They work there, but to the public, unless you're dealing with them you know, on an email or something like that, they may, the public doesn't know they exist. And that's, I think, a really big difference for the people in the bigger firms than to us in, I guess, more boutique firms in the sense that I've had my name and face on on the website since I was, I think I was a PLT student or something like that. I think we had to, I think you had to be an associate before we were named on the website. And so I sort of recognised early on that the only way to get a presence on Google was to be writing articles and having the firm publish them on our Facebook pages and things like that. So, and that's, yeah, that's where I say you just got to be a little bit creative and I think also don't get deterred because don't you know I remember there was one occasion where um, I was told to go and meet with a principal lawyer at another firm um, and I was very very junior and it was an entire waste of time this principal was never sending me work this principal was never going to Um, you know, we weren't going to cross refer to each other because we were worlds apart. And I think you just have to focus on your equals, if I can put it as that, and 
just know that it will pay off. Eventually, the people that you're marketing to that are at a similar level to you, whether they're at other law firms or at accounting firms or wherever they are, ultimately, as they progress and get more senior, and the work is going to start coming to you and finding its way to you, but you have to be patient. I think that's, yeah, the patience rings a bell because, like you said, there's no point. Well, I shouldn't say no point. It's always worthwhile for, even if it's just for the experience, you're unlikely to change the referral process of someone who's run an accounting firm for the last 40 years. Yeah. has always sent their referrals to firm XYZ um, just through a cup of coffee or something yeah. like that. You might be able to meet the person who's at a, you know the same sort of level as you are in your law firm in their accounting firm. And in five or six years' time, it's, oh, okay, we're both now at a position where we can send each other work and we do have that good working relationship and it's a, oh, I've got a tax question, can I pick up the phone to you? And Or they've got a legal question and they pick up the phone to you and while it might not pay off straight away, it's potentially going to pay off in the long run. Exactly. I found those sort of experiences really stressful at first because you put a lot of pressure on yourself to go, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm here to get this referral or I'm here to impress this person. Perhaps a better way of looking at at it for me would have been, okay, I get the opportunity to meet this person. If nothing happens, if nothing comes of it, at least I've had a nice cup of coffee. Exactly. Uh, The next time I do it, I might be a little bit better. Yeah, and I think Pierce will kill me for giving away his um, secrets. He has a rule, whether question whether he's come up with this himself. It's called the 10-touch rule. He says there's got to be 10 touches, and the way you're looking at me, Charles, I, I, I get the sense Pierce has not come up with this. Well, um, I don't know. If- 10 touches. Mate- there has to be, and it can be as simple as um, you meet for coffee, you meet for lunch with someone, that's touch one. Touch two is the follow-up email saying thanks for meeting. And they say there needs to be at least 10 before that person will even remember you. So maybe, persistence is key. Maybe 10 is Pierce's magic number. Yeah. But no, I have, I've have, I have heard similar suggestions that, that it can't just be one. It's got to be multiple engagements before there's some level of, you know, remembering and willingness to build a trusted relationship effectively. Absolutely. Having been in the profession for a while now, have you got any great tips that if you could tell your last year of uni self or maybe first year of uni self, these are the things you could you could know that would just make things so much easier for you? Any words of wisdom? I think, I mean, I said it before, persistence is key. I think that's really important. And to run the long race and not, don't be afraid of hard work. I think there's a huge emphasis on young practitioners that are coming through in having, and it's appropriate that there is an emphasis on work-life balance and well-being and that sort of stuff. And that is really, really important. It is also important for young practitioners to realise that 
now is the time to work hard when you're young and you're fresh out of university and you have not a lot of commitments. You might not have kids. You might not be married. You can be totally selfish for only a defined period, really, until you're going to have a partner that's, you know, wanting you home at a reasonable hour and not wanting you on your emails all night. And then you might have kids and they they in themselves are their own challenge. Yeah. So I guess just don't be afraid of hard work and putting in the hours while you have the time because it will pay off. Like I said before, you know, I get to exercise before work every day, basically. There was a long period in my career where I did not have that luxury. It is a luxury because I had to be in at my desk very, very early on. Focus now, work hard now, and it will pay off. If it's too much for you now, then perhaps law isn't the career for you, as harsh as that sounds. I think the hard work and the time that you have as a younger person is really, really true because I know having had kids, my kids are toddlers, starting school soon, the amount of time you think you have before kids and the amount of time you have actually have before kids are very different and the amount of time you have after kids or with the other demands on your life it's it's quite true i'd say that you do have more time to be selfish to do the things that are important to you and if being the best lawyer that you can be and being the person who makes it to the top like you have is something that's really important then go for it if that's not you though there are lots of different options and that's something I guess that I've found in my career is that I've spent most of my career in boutique firms or all of my career in boutique firms. I haven't had the same, I guess, demands from a firm perspective. Of course, there's expectations, there's budgets, there's you need to do the job well, there's always pressures from clients and all of those sorts of things. If you want to be a lawyer but you don't necessarily feel that you're cut out for running at the red line for the first 10 years of your career, maybe try and find a different way of being a lawyer or find a firm that suits what works for you. There's sacrifices and that come with that as well, though. You don't necessarily get the same benefits from your employment. Like Obviously, there's advantages to being in bigger firms. There's advantages to being in smaller firms, I think it really depends. For me, I, I don't regret not trying to jump across to a big firm as soon as I possibly could have. I don't regret spending most of or all of my career so far. And you know, I don't have any intentions to jump across to a big firm at this point. I guess I've probably taken the slow race, the slow road to um, where things are at for me now. Something someone really really important once said to me it's a marathon and not a sprint uh, because this is a job that you can do when you're old and gray absolutely i think finding what works for you as a person what works for you and where you are in life is really important And if you want to run the race fast early on like you have montana and hit the top early because there wouldn't be that many people in mckinnis wilson at the same level as you 
this early on in their career, would they? Look, I think we are a firm that are really supportive of young principals. I agree with you. There's no, there is no right or wrong. And perhaps you put that a lot more elegantly than I did when I said it's, you know, if you're not cut out for it, then leave now. I, I suppose what I meant by that is that there are, like you say, there are other options. I've seen solicitors bow out quite early on in their careers because they've thought this, you know, isn't for them. But have a think about whether maybe it's just the area of law. Maybe litigation, litigation is stressful. It has time pressures. Family law litigation is particularly stressful. I think it's one of the few jurisdictions where you can get away with filing a 50-page affidavit the night before. When you get served with one at, you know, 7 p.m., you need to read it and be up to speed on it before the morning. You know, there's, there's some other areas of law where that just wouldn't be allowed. So explore those other options. Maybe back-end law isn't for you. Maybe front-end law is a lot more for you. That There are other options. So speak to other people in the industry before you decide it's too much. Yeah, I think that's really true. And there's nothing stopping people changing firms or trying something different. When I was a kid, you never really thought, oh, I'll jump across four different firms in five years. And that's not something I've done, but it's definitely something I've seen. And it seems to be looking for what works for that particular person. And then oftentimes someone will find the place they want to be and they'll stay there for a while. Yeah, and there's no right or wrong. Uh, There's no, you know, you sort of said before that you've done it, I think you said that the slower way, that there is no right or wrong. Yeah, I knuckled down and I did it quickly and I, I probably did it the hard way it doesn't mean it's the right way a lot of people think that maybe I'm crazy for wanting that so young you've just got to find what works for yourself yeah I think that's true I've seen a number of lawyers come in to firms that I've been working at they've found that family law is just not for them you generally find that out in the first couple of years is it the right area of law for me if the answer is no then try something different Uh, People have gone into all sorts of different areas. I would probably recommend against staying in an area of law that you don't like. If it's not going to be something you like in the first couple of years, then I doubt it's going to get any better. But if you do like it, then know that and try and make it work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose coming back to the difference between bigger firms and the benefits of both options certainly in bigger firms I've we've had graduates in family law who have come to us and said I don't think family law's for me and we've transitioned them into another department and they've thrived so don't be afraid to go to your supervisors and voice any concerns that you have because there is nothing worse than having a junior solicitor in your team that doesn't want to be there It's frustrating. It's equally as frustrating for them as it is for you. Go to your principal, go to your supervisor and see if there are any other options. The other thing I'd say is that don't feel like you have to have it all lined up straight away. I don't think I found that I enjoyed family law until my last semester of uni. I hated family law at uni. I swore after doing the subject I was never going to do family law. 
So, yeah, I think you, you, I don't think a law degree, probably most of us would agree that a law degree isn't reflective of what being a lawyer is like. I think that's very true. And I think that probably depends on partly, I guess, which area of law you end up in. I suspect that some areas of law are more like uni than others. Definitely being a family lawyer is not like studying. It's not like doing a family law elective. It's completely different. Just because you thought you might like something at uni or doing your PLT doesn't necessarily mean that you know you have to stick with that for the rest of your career. Um, have a look around, see what works for you. And each area of law has its own different, I guess, stress points. Family law, you've got a lot of face-to-face contact with clients. You've got a lot of work dealing with other lawyers directly. You've got a lot of work in, in court often. Whereas, as I understand it, not having worked in there, if you worked in a, a big commercial firm, you're probably not going to see a client for your first five years at least. You're going to do a lot of work on documents. You're going to look, look, spend a lot of time trying to, you know, doing research, all of those sorts of things. So something that people might want to take into account of, okay, if I'm a real people person and I really like, I really want to be an advocate, then an area of law where you, you're going to get that experience being in front of a judge and meeting clients and all of those sorts of things. I mean, I know from, from my perspective, I was doing initial client interviews, I would say probably a year after admission, whereas in, I guess, a lot of areas of law that wouldn't happen, maybe in a lot of firms that wouldn't happen. It's something that I think if that's really something you just don't want to do, then you could find an area of law that suits that. It might just be find a different firm, find a firm that works better with what you like. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Is there anything else that you wanted to, any other words of wisdom for our listeners before we wrap this up? No, that is all of the wisdom I have to offer. I've got one final question and that's, I guess you might not be able to answer it, but when did you feel you had it all figured out? I still don't. I still do not feel like I have it all figured out. I think, I think I'm getting better. Like I said, introducing certain things like getting six or seven hours of sleep a night um, has made a difference, but I still am trying to figure it out. I think we'll keep trying to figure things out for the rest of our careers. We'll be met with new challenges along the way. What about yourself? Have you figured it out yet? I don't think so, but I think I'm pretty close. Okay. I think I've got most of the things that work for me figured out. And You've got healthy children and your marriage is intact, so that says a lot. You'd like to think so. <laughs> no, I, I do. I have wonderful children and a wonderful wife. And um, I think that figuring out the law side of things has made that easier. And for me, it's sleep. It's exercise. It's make sure you've got something. If, it, if things are really stressful at work, make sure you've got something to look forward to. That's not work. Remember that you know if you've got something that's, pressing as a deadline um, there's always the day after where you'll not have the deadline exactly and I think that I mean it's been such a difficult couple of years really with COVID so many of us haven't had the holidays that we would normally take 
throughout the year. We haven't been able to. It's been, you know, I was just talking about it the other day. We've all got these leave balances because no one's been <laughs> taking leave. So that is also another really important thing to prioritise. The work's not going anywhere. Take a break. You need it. You'll come back a better lawyer. Absolutely. If you're refreshed. Absolutely. Take a break and take a long enough break that works for you. And if your supervisor doesn't let you, then that's probably not the firm for you. Yeah, I'd say that's very true. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Anytime. I hope that our listeners found that really, really interesting and that we'll, um, if you have any questions, by the way, feel free to get in touch with us here at Fanny Family Law or Montana if you wanted to give the listeners a contact address or an email or if you don't want to, that's fine also. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm sure when you post this, you can put the details somewhere. More than happy for anyone to email me at any time. I might not respond at 11 p.m. I will respond in due course and I'm happy to help anyone who needs it. Thanks, Montana. Thanks so much, Charles. I really enjoyed speaking with Montana. I trust you found this episode of the Feeney Family Law Wellness Podcast helpful. If you'd like to get in touch with Montana or myself, our contact details are in the show notes. If you have feedback or a topic you'd like us to explore in this series, please get in touch. I'm Charles Letts. Thanks for listening.